I think it's important for us to see and model our lives after our Savior, uh, because he is the reason why we are the way we are. That's why we call ourselves Christians, followers of Christ. And this book in particular highlights the fact that Jesus Christ is the servant. Um, he's the one that sacrificed himself, humbling himself to live this perfect life in a sinful world. Mark chapter 4, verse 21 and 25 is going to be our text this evening. Under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it would, be, that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given to you besides. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Father God, Lord, we're thankful to be able to come to this gospel, to be able to relive um, the testimony of Mark and Peter as they write about the life of your perfect son. Lord, as we glean in this text, may we not only know more about you, but know how to apply your word into our life. May the Holy Spirit illuminate our hearts and minds so that we can do so. Sanctify us, Lord, so that we can be more like the servant that is uh, in your son. We thank you in your son's precious name. Amen. Well, if you ever played board games like Risk and Monopoly, you'll find that the common denominator in those two types of board games, or board games like that, is that you want to try to get everything that's on the board. Um, my family loves to play Monopoly, and I use love loosely because sometimes it seems like we end up hating each other after the game. Um, but if you understand those types of games, it's this slow advancement to, tr to try to take everything. You roll the dice, you get something, and then you get a card, and you get this property, or you win this territory. That's just how advancement goes in those games. And usually the, the one that has the most property will end up winning the entire game. And we know that these are just kind of principles of, that it's almost like warfare, but in a way that is more tamed, so that people won't actually die. But you get this, you understand just how things like that in warfare is like. It's a slow advancement. If you ever want to try to win something, it's, it's a slow and gradual thing. And we understand even this language of kingdom, it's something that Christians are called to be. We're kingdom citizens. Now you hear this um, from, our, from the pulpit or even from other Christians that we represent the kingdom of God. And there is always this question that theologians have, like, how do we advance the kingdom of God? Maybe another way of saying it is how do we share the gospel with people in our life? We understand that's actually how the kingdom of God advances. Or in church history, there's always been this false notion that as long as we have this physical territory, if there's this one country or this one land that we have, then therefore that's where God's going to reign and things are going to be perfect. And uh, some people think it's like in Rome, that's what the Roman Catholics believe. And some people think it's America, and that's where even some of the Puritans, the original people, thought that way as well. But that's, those aren't actually the true kingdom of God. And I think even in Jesus' time, when Mark, in the, in, the, in the Gospel of Mark, that's where people wonder. They wonder, when is the kingdom of God going to be here? And they assumed, wrongly, that when the Messiah is going to come, that the first coming is he's just going to dethrone everyone. He's going to dethrone Rome, and then he's going to sit on the throne. The Jewish people are going to be free from, um, from the bondage of these Gentiles. But Jesus came in a humble uh, circumstance, came through a virgin birth. He um, was declared as the Messiah, as we, if you remember back when we went Mark chapter 1, the John the Baptist was, was, the, was the forerunner, crying in the wilderness, telling people that they need to go and turn to this Jesus and to repent of their sins. In the beginning of Jesus' ministry, they, they see this man, and then they, he gets baptized, and the sky is torn asunder. And, and God the Father tells him in front of everyone that this is his beloved son, 
listen to him, that he is the Messiah, which goes against everything that the Jews thought at the time, because they understood that if as long as the Savior, he's not supposed to just come and rescue us from our sins, but he's supposed to rescue us from our earthly, um, earthly bondage. And Jesus, throughout his entire ministry, has been disappointing to those that believe that the kingdom of God is advanced through overthrowing the Roman government. We know that, that's, that the first coming of Christ was not for that purpose, that Jesus came the very first time to rescue us from the bondage of sin. And he tells us, in, uh, he, and throughout his entire ministry, he, he teaches his disciples that that's what the kingdom of God is about, that you guys represent the kingdom of God, and that if you are truly a follower of him, that you need to tell people about this kingdom. In, in chapter 4, we haven't been here a while, there was the parable of the sowers. A parable is, is the idea of this, it's, it's like kind of like parallel. Uh, there's a story that's supposed to parallel, uh, like, a, like a story with something that is true. And Jesus talks about how, how you advance the kingdom of God is not through overthrowing some governments. Rather, it's the spreading of the gospel. That you go and you tell people about who Jesus Christ is. And he goes on to explain how there are going to be four different types of responses. Chapter 4, verse 1 to 20, he talks about the four soils. And we're familiar with this. We're familiar with this because there's a soil where the seed of the gospel lands on, then a bird comes and takes it away. And there's also the, the, the rocky, uh, the, the thorns, where the, soil, where the seed gets into the soil, but it sprouts up because of the things of the world, it gets choked up. And then there's a seed that lands in the soil where it's a shallow ground, where it just sprouts up very quickly, but it gets burned up really quick as well. And then there's a good soil, that through, through that one good soil, there is a multiplication of, of fruit in it, and also meaning that will also spread the gospel as well. It's in light of that context that we get to this portion today, or this evening, that we, he's really explaining what it means to be someone that, that demonstrates fruits. In chapter 4, verse 20, it says that the one who bears fruit, bears fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. And he goes and talks about how we can expand the kingdom of God, which is what we're going to talk about today, tonight. That, if, that how we can expand the kingdom of God is not by overthrowing the government, it's not by some sort of election, it's not by... Uh, changing the society, but it's just by the way of preaching and sharing the gospel to those around us. So how do we advance the gospel? Well, I have three points for us this evening. How do we advance the kingdom of God? The first is that we need to shine the gospel. We need to show the gospel. You notice uh, verse 21, he's again explaining as a continuation of the four soils. Jesus says, a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it, or under a bed? It is not brought to be put. Uh, is it not brought to be put on a lampstand? Again, Jesus speaks about how when you're sharing the gospel, this is something that that I think they understand. It's, it's a very natural thing. Uh, he, a lamp is not meant to be put under darkness. It's not. I mean, it's not meant to be covered. It's supposed to illuminate a, a room when it's dark, and a basket, I mean, this is here, uses, or the ending that Nasby uses the word basket, which I think is a good, um, I think is a good translation, but really it's just like this little cup. A lamp back then was this little, you know, like those little genie lamps, it kind of looks like that, like a smaller version of that, and they would light it, and there's oil in the light it, and they would put it on lampstands throughout the house. Again, it's weird for us to imagine, unless there's a power outage, uh, what it's like to, the importance of lights in a dark room. Uh, but back then, that's just how they lived. In a dark place, they would have to light this little lamp, and this was to bring around the room. And ideally, if they could put a lampstand, then they could kind of illuminate the rest of the house or the room that they're in. And the reason why Jesus is actually talking about this and even speaking again in parables is it's, he's trying to convey to the true believers there um, who, uh, uh, what they're supposed to do with the gospel. Because there were a lot of people in Jesus' ministry that would go to Jesus, and they would... You know, they're, they're fascinated by his miracles. They're fascinated by his teachings, but they don't really understand. And they're really there for the temporal things. In John chapter 6, verse 66, all of these false followers, when they, when Jesus, when they realize Jesus can't give them any more food, uh, they're like, they just, they just leave. 
And Jesus asked Peter, are you going to leave me too? To which Peter responds, Lord, we, you're the only one that has the gospel that could bring them to salvation. But there were those, even the Pharisees that followed Jesus that, that just did not understand it. And I think Jesus is speaking in parables to help people decide, or it was really to, to teach um, to those that are believers, they will understand it. The believers will understand, but the non-believers, to them it will just fall into death's ear. They'll hear the message like this or these parables, and they'll just be not, they'll, they'll make them not uninterested in Jesus Christ, and they'll end up leaving Jesus Christ. But those that are believers, they're going to be drawn to it, and the parables are a way for them to really sift through who are the true sheep and those that are just goats. So Jesus here talks about this light. He's speaking in parables and talks about how, and again, it seems very obvious, right, that we, the lamps are not meant to be put and to be covered, but they're supposed to be used. There's a particular purpose for them. Again, it's very obvious, but sometimes the most obvious things are the things that's missed. Um, as a parent, uh, I, I have to teach these things to my own children. Uh, I tell them the electrical socket is meant for devices, it's meant to be used to charge things. It's not meant for your finger, because if you put your finger in the outlets, something will happen that is not supposed to, namely that you will die. The electrical socket is not meant for children. Or if you ever look at a Benadryl medicine, it actually has a warning, like this medicine is not intended to put your kids to sleep, which implies that there are some people, that that's how they use it. They use Benadryl to try to put their children to sleep um, because those things are not its intended use. We understand as Christians, there's a reason why that we're still here. The reason why we're still here is to represent Christ is to go and call and tell people about the Savior. Our chief identity is not in our ethnicity, is not in our careers, and not in our life stage. Our intended purpose, the, the reason why we exist, the reason why we're still here today instead of being raptured off or, uh, yeah, or that Christ has come in to take everything and just change everything, the reason why we're still here in this short life that we have is to go and represent Christ, to go and tell people about Jesus Christ. That is our intended purpose. Yet how often it is for us that we forget that, that we wonder why life is so meaningless, why life is so difficult, and why life just seems so boring. It's because we forget what we're intended for. We're made in the image of God, and we're called to reflect that. And for, particularly for Christians, we do more than just reflecting. We go and tell people their intended purpose, and that is that you're supposed to live to the glory of God that we are made by him to glorify him. And the best way for us in this life to glorify God is when people come to saving faith. It's described how even angels rejoice when even one person comes to faith. Christians need to demonstrate that their life is like this light in the dark room. They're supposed to illuminate. They're supposed to represent Christ. Their intended purpose is to give light in the midst of darkness. You're supposed to show the world that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Christianity is not a private matter. I know in our culture, we like to say is a separation between church and state. And the implication is that you can be a Christian in your own home, but do not bring it outside your home. Or you could be a Christian only in your church, but do not bring it out into the public square. And that itself, that statement, that separation between church and state, I understand in terms of the government, but in reality, that is a lie of the devil. Because you're not called to only be a Christian, only in specific places and time throughout the week. You're called to be a Christian all the time. Your job is to represent Christ. Have you shown those around you that you are truly a follower of Jesus Christ? Because it is extremely easy to be a Christian here in, the, in this building. It's extremely easy to be a Christian only at home or only when you're with other believers but it is hard to shine brightly when you're surrounded by darkness. I understand this lamp, uh, this lamp that is here, that's revealed. This is, it's actually, I find it interesting as I was studying that in the book of Revelation, the seven churches, there, they, Jesus speaks of a lamp, that each of these churches have this lamp. And if they're not faithful, the Lord will remove the lamp. And he even warns them with the same thing that he says here in verse 20. If anyone has, ear, has ears to hear, let them hear. If you are a Christian, you need to be a light into the world. And if you fail to represent Christ, then the Lord will remove you because you're not useful for the kingdom of God. 
The gospel is not advanced when people hide the faith. Christians are called to shine brightly in the world. The gospel is designed to be shown and to be watched by the world. That's what the Christians are designed to do. You're called to be representative of the Lord by shining brightly in your life. And I'm not talking about superficial, but I'm talking about being like Jesus Christ. And also, even lamps back then, it, w- it was a small lamp because oil and, I mean, yes, there are a lot of those little lamps, but oil was a scarcity back then. It wasn't something that was common. Only certain types, if you're like a, you're almost like upper middle, upper to upper middle class, you'll have lamps. Most people, when it's dark, it's over for them. They just go straight to bed and they wait till the next day. And I think that's an interesting parallel even to the life of the Christian. That we understand as Christians, there actually are not that many of us. Uh, Jesus says that there are, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. To those that are supposed to go out, there aren't that many of us, and that should be okay for us. Because we understand that in a lot of ways, we are the vocal minority. It's not that if we get the whole culture to become Christians, that there's some sort of revival, and that's how we're going to fix everything. We have to understand that true Christians, in reality, are not that many. And, they should, and that's okay, because that's how Jesus described the Christian life. It can, be, it can feel like a lonely life, but sometimes it is, that is what is expected of us. I have a friend, a missionary friend, he's in Chad, Africa. He does Bible translation, and that, if you know anything about that country, it's just all Muslims. And not only that, they don't have a written language. So he's there trying to understand uh, he's like, they're trying to basically create a vocabulary, a lexicon for them, and then translate the Bible and then teach them how to read. He's the only believer in that entire area. He, and yet he shines so brightly because this is white dude in the middle of this place in Africa. But he's telling them and, and, and telling them about this Jesus that they don't know nothing about. Us here in San Francisco, it can feel like we're in a very dark place. But we need to see it as a privilege to represent Christ, because that is our job. It is our responsibility to represent him. You are to shine brightly to those that are in your life. A little light will still shine brightly, especially if there's a tremendous amount of darkness around you. So ask yourself, have you been a light, a faithful light to those in your life? Because there, chances are you, there's, you bound, if you have no Christians in your life, or non-Christians in your life, then you are like the person that's, uh, that Jesus describes as hiding under a basket. No, you need to have non-Christians in your life. You need to, you, you, whether it's knowing your neighbors or your classmate, you need to uh, invest in those people for, for gospel ministry. I'm not saying that you can't have, I, I know like the Bible says like bad company corrupts good morals, and that is true, and that your closest relationship should be those are, that are believers. But that doesn't mean that you should not have non-believers completely absent in your life. You need to have and make sure that there are those in your life so you can represent Christ. And understand when, when Jesus was teaching this to his disciples, there were, it was a tremendous amount of darkness. I mean, there, even the Pharisees, these were people that were supposed to be spiritual leaders, supposed to guide them to the light. They were keeping Israel in spiritual darkness. And Christ tells them that the only way to combat them is to be faithful. Don't worry about the religious leaders. Don't worry about the, the, the government. Be a light. Represent Christ in all that you do. Lights are meant to be seen. And it's basic, yet when it comes to our own faith, it is easy for us. Isn't it easy for us to just hide the light because we are afraid? Why don't we share the gospel? I would argue that some reasons why we don't share the gospel, one of them is because we are not a believer. You're not a light to those around you because you're not a light. You're not lit. You're not, there's no new life in you. You're not a believer. So you don't care about sharing the gospel with other people. And then for you, the solution is not to try to be like a Christian. It is to be a Christian. There's a false understanding that just because you know the Bible, even know how to share the gospel, that doesn't make you a Christian. A true light of the gospel is someone that is changed from the inside out. They are regenerated. They are made new. They're a new creature. And they have a desire to represent Christ in all that they do. So there is a possibility that the reason why you have no desire for evangelism is because you yourself are not saved. And it's because you're not saved. You have no desire to go and rescue other people. Only people that understand their own depraved state 
only the people that understand that they were rescued from the judgment of God will want other people to be rescued as well. You know, the reason why you may not want to share the gospel is some people think that they're not trained. I know a few weeks ago we did evangelism training, um, and we're going to try to do that as a church. I'm not dismissing that, but I do you have to understand, though, if you know how you, if you yourself are saved, then you should have enough information to go and tell other people about the gospel. Yes, there are ways that you can train to be more tactful and more winsome in the way that you present the gospel. But I'll argue that if you yourself know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you know what you're rescued from, and you know what you need to be a believer, that's enough to go and tell that to someone else. It may not be as smooth or as winsome. It may be a very rough conversation. But the thing that saves is not how a person talks, it's what they say. When you're sharing the gospel, the thing that should cause people to come to saving faith is the gospel itself. I've yet to hear anyone that said, because of the, the way that person yelled at me, that's why I came to saving faith. Or I laughed myself into the kingdom of God because that guy was so funny. No, it's that they understand the gospel message. And, 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 and that's what clicks. They, you, you present the gospel to them, and they come to saving faith. Some people are not saved. Some people think they're not trained. And, and some, they just don't see evangelism as a priority. They see themselves as a student first, or they're a programmer first, or they are whatever occupation first as opposed to Christian first. You understand that as a Christian, you, we are really infiltrating this world of darkness. A lot of those we're like spies trying to rescue people. We are primarily a Christian. And what we are as Christians is that we try to tell people, we're tactful in terms of how we build relationships with people in hopes to share the gospel with them. And some people forget that. They forget that the, that the priority of a Christian is to make disciples of all nations. And if that's you, you need to change. You need to really repent. It's not really a priority for you, then you need to see that your life belongs to the Lord. And part of that means that you go and tell people about Jesus Christ. Four, I think, fourth reason why people don't share the gospel is because of fear. They are afraid of what people might think of them. They think that, how can I share the gospel with my homosexual friend or my homosexual relative? They're not going to want to talk to me. Well, that's the cost, isn't it? That's the cost of following Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said that those that follow me, there's going to be family that's going to be divided. There's going to be people that's going to hate you, and they hate you because they hate Jesus Christ. And now that fear, that's why sometimes we don't cherish evangelism. We don't, we, we forget, we don't cherish Christ that we want to tell people about it because we value those earthly relationships more than the heavenly relationships that we have. And fifth, why we don't share the gospel? Sometimes just because you yourself is not a trustworthy, you're not, you're not a good testimony. Because people look at your life, you claim to be a Christian, but the way you live and the way they live is exactly the same. So why do I need this whole Jesus guy if you and I act exactly the same? And that's a failure in our part if that is the case in being a light in the world. If you're darkness and the world is darkness and no one will know what the difference is. And that's where, if that's you, then you need to evaluate yourself and see why is that? Are there things in my life, in the way that I conduct myself, in the way that I talk, in the way that I uh, work, or whatever it may be, does it look like the world? Do I grumble and complain when things don't go my way like the people in the world? Because if that's the case, then you really need to evaluate whether or not you are a believer. Because a true believer is going to be a light. And it's going to either draw people to the light, or it's going to draw people away from it. But it should never be because there's nothing there. So how do we share the gospel? Um, there's like subpoints upon, upon subpoints, I know. But here's, a, here's some ways that I could advise you through Scripture how you can share the gospel. And this isn't necessarily like the steps, like here's step one, step two. I'm just talking about just the ways in general how you can share the gospel. For example, in Acts chapter 2, there's, this is a confrontation model. You confront them. In Acts chapter 2, just speak the truth to them. In love, you tell them who Jesus Christ is. Um, and that could be a cold contact. It could be someone that you know. But you just tell them, just point blank, what the, the truth of the scriptures are. And that could mean you just tell them, hey, I know that, that you don't. And usually this comes in, for me at least, it's when someone is dying. When I'm doing hospital visits, I don't know who this person is, but I'm going to tell them exactly what they need to hear. That's the confrontation. Uh, or, or it could be some people that are just 
in pain and they're trying to figure out what life is about, then you confront them with the gospel. We see that in Acts chapter 2. That's a confrontation. Another way to share the gospel is the intellectual way. Acts chapter 17, when Paul is having these, de- these philosophical debates in Athens, he's using different apologetics and philosophy to try to get people to see life from a biblical worldview. I mean, the, the examples we have in our life are people like R.C. Sproul or, or James White, you know, those individuals that can use philosophy as a means to, go to, to bring them to the gospel. That's one method. Some people are, are, some of you are, are drawn to that. You'd like to figure out all the philosophers and, see, and poke holes in them and then see their contradictions, and, and you speak about those things in light of Scripture. Third, testimonial. This is just, li- like, just living faithfully. Mark chapter 9, there's, it describes uh, this one lady, Dorca, who she's just known for her faithfulness. That's where, some of, that's where all of us should be. You live life in a way that's just so unique and different that you have non-believing friends and family that notice, like, hey, how are you, why are you like this? And it's doubly so, especially with family members, because they already know all of your flaws. Um, sometimes the best testimony of those that have this radical transformation I remember having friends that were in seminary that told me that they used to be, like, I, I wouldn't have known this about them until they told me that they would say, like, yeah, I used to be this adulterer. I used to sleep around, and I used to um, you know, be a drug addict. I used to do, and they list all of those debaucheries they've done in the past, but I would not have known any of that because the Lord has radically changed their lives. And it could be the same said about you. You might have lived a certain way, and your family might have noticed that, but the moment you came in encounter with Jesus Christ, your life is so different that people wonder, why are you so calm now? You used to have all these bursts of anger. Why are you so calm? And that's, a, and that's a, really a softball for you to just knock it out of the park. That the reason why I'm this way now is because the Lord changed my life. That's testimony. The fourth one, relational. I mean, that's, that's just, if you have connections and friends, you invite them uh, to Christ. They, you have a connection with them. You plead with them. You know that these people do not know Jesus, and you love them, so you tell them about Christ. Which actually the fifth one is all invitation. This is like John chapter 4 where it talks about how inviting people to see Jesus. And we're in the holiday seasons now. So this, if you're afraid of sharing the gospel, just invite them to our Christmas program. Because this year, our Christmas program is on a Sunday. So it's like doubly, you know, super godly weekend. Um, it only happens once every like 15 years. So take advantage of that. Invite people that you don't know to, your, to the church's Christmas service. I think Pastor, Rod, no, Pastor Henry's preaching. He's going to share the gospel for sure. If you're afraid, which you shouldn't be, just invite them and we'll talk to them about their sin and why they need Jesus Christ. Do you understand? Like These are just examples in which ways you can share the gospel. Uh, there, yes, there are different evangelism methods, and I get those step-by-step things. Those are all great. Um, there, but I don't think there's one size that fit all. But we should see that our life, that our entire life, needs to be an act of worship to the Lord, and everything that we do needs to be a way to bring people to saving faith. So you need to go and share the gospel because that is our job. Our job as Christians is to be a light. Like as Jesus said, this lamp, that's what we put up on this lampstand so we can give light to the dark room. Verse 22, for nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been uh, secret, but that it would come to light. Uh, in time, this is, I think this verse is just summarizing it, in time, your true self will become apparent. Believers are lights and non-Christians are not. Again, in this entire chapter, the context is about those who are true believers. If you are a true believer and you're a false uh, Christian, it's going to show itself. If you're a true Christian, it's going, in time it's going to reveal itself. And if you're not Christian, it will also reveal itself. False Christians will not be able to bear any light because they are not believers. Only believers in time, their, their light will burn until their time here on earth is over. Now, again, I understand our culture is getting darker and darker. I'm not talking about daylight saving. I'm just saying in general, just culturally, the way that people are acting towards one another and towards Christians, it seems like there's a lot more sin going on and there's a promotion of sin. So morally, things seem darker. And that's where the gospel will shine even brighter because people are going to notice something different about you. People are going to notice why you don't post things. Why don't you like certain posts or in the way that you engage in social issues or just in the way that you engage in life itself, it seems radically different. I was telling, I don't know who I was telling someone in the church that 
you know, in time, Christians, you'll know who the Christians are when you see them walking down the street and there's more than three kids. Maybe not Christian, but they're at least religious, right? It's very rare that you see non-Christians have any children. It's like when you see more than three, it's like, okay, that person must be some sort of religious person. And it's, and it's, it's true. The world hates the inconvenience of children. Just having a family itself is going to make us stand out, which will give us a natural you know, discussion point. Why, are, why do you have so many children? Well, because we believe children are made in the image of God, and then you go from the gospel from there. Just living biblical truth is going to make you stand out in this, in this world. If you're a light, it will only be brighter as the world around you grows darker and darker. And we need to shine the gospel. Your life proves whether or not you believe in the gospel. If you are this lamp in this dark room, then you will shine brightly. But if you are snuffed out because of things of the world or because of darkness itself, then you might not even be a believer to begin with. If you live like the world, it will not make sense why people want to flee from darkness and come into the light. So how are you doing in terms of being a light? How do you know that you're living faithfully according to God's word? If people notice, you notice that people just respond to you differently. If you're a faithful believer, the world's going to treat you differently. If they treat you like them, that means you probably... More, you probably are darkness as opposed to being in light. So how do we advance the kingdom of God? First, we need to shine the gospel. Second, we need to listen to the gospel or listen to truth. First, we, we shine the truth or live the truth. Second, we listen to the gospel or we listen to truth. Look at verse 23. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he, who was, and he was saying to them, take care of what you listen to, by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given you besides. Now, Jesus is saying that you need to be very attentive to what he's telling them. Because, again, he's speaking in parables here. Those that are believers are going to understand what he's saying. But those that are non-believers are going to listen to Jesus, and they're just, they, all they hear is words. It's not penetrating their hearts. He's saying, if you are a true believer, you will shine brightly. He's encouraging to listen carefully. And it's important, and it's important for us as Christians to hear God's word. Because again, there are false Christians that claim to they think they can intellectually understand what's going on, but they don't understand the implications of what those things are. It's an appeal to them to have spiritual perspectives, to listen carefully. The Bible speaks a lot about listening and and listening carefully, Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is the, the great Shema in the Old Testament. We're like, hear, O Israel. In fact, I think the, the most common imperative in the, all of Scripture is God instructing people to listen carefully, to hear what they have to say. Because if you don't listen to God, you're bound to be thrown into every wind of doctrine. This is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. It says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. As believers, we have to be very mindful of the things that we listen to because the things that there are a lot of voices that are of the devil and of the world that's going to make us think things that are not biblical. Colossians chapter 2, verse 4, I say this so that no one, will be, no one will delude you with persuasive arguments. For even though I am absent in the body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline, the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed in overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. There are the world, I mean, especially now in our media age, there are so many things that's going to try to draw our attention. Like in Instagram, there's all these videos that I don't even, from people that I don't follow that are just trying to, you know, indoctrinate me with things. Uh, that's just the way the world works. They're always going to find a way to draw you into a life that is a lie. Even things like all every commercial that you, li- that you 
watch, it's basically trying to pander to your discontentment. Like, oh, you need a new car. Look how flashy it is. Oh, you need this new clothing because your clothing is terrible. You look bad. Here, buy this. Therefore, then you can finally find happiness. These are all lies of the world. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9, do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods through, through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. As believers, there, we need to be very careful in things that we listen to. In fact, the devil is so deceptive that he can even bring false teachers to kind of distort the scriptures so they can sound like truth, but really it isn't. Don't be deceived. Know what uh, the scripture has to say. And there are different types of listeners. You know, when even here, in this very moment, I can tell by some of you, I'm not going to name who, but I know just in, the, in, in every context, whenever I preach, there are these different types of speakers. So let me see which, we'll see which one are you. Don't point to anyone, just think about yourself. Are you the lazy listener? This is the kind of person who just sits there and can keep their eyes open for like 42 minutes, and that's it. If it goes 45, it's over. They're, gonna, they're just going to be sleeping, not listening. The lazy listener is someone that just listens, but it doesn't actually do anything to them. They just sit there. They're just The word just bounces off of them. Uh, they're not engaging mentally. They just sit there and just think that this is just part of the church program. That's the lazy listener. In order to remedy that, you need to be the active listener. You need to take, and you have to understand that preaching is an intellectual exercise. My theory is that in about 20 years, the smartest people are going to be Christians because you're so used to sitting and listening. Uh, and, and the world, like, and it's not just listening, but you have to actively think, how does this apply to my life? The faithful Christian is not a lazy listener. They listen and then they think, how do I do this? What does this tell me about God? How can I encourage uh, my brothers and sisters in the faith? A lazy listener just kind of listens to things. But an active listener, there's someone that, is, that is, is, sees this as an opportunity to hear God's word and to be trained in God's word so that they can live a life of godliness. A lazy listener just kind of just sits in. And you can tell when you ask them, hey, what did you learn about the message? And they don't really say anything because they're not listening. They're the lazy person. There's a lazy one. There's also the biased listener. This guy that's just biased. He's listening. He's like, oh, this pastor said this, so it settles it. You know, as much as I'm trained in the Bible, I'm not infallible. There's going to be moments where I might say something. It's not going to be heretical, like Jesus is not the Savior. It's not going to be those things. But there may be a common time where I might say something that's just my own preference. And someone that is a bias will, all, will only listen to that and just say, that's it. It settles it. And I've seen it. I remember and when I was at, at, at my old church, people loved, like MacArthur said, and it settles it, even if it doesn't make any sense. Like I had this debate once about clothing with, I think I shared this, I had this debate with, uh, with someone about clothing. He said that, uh, you can either dress in a suit and a tie. And I remember, not as by God's providence, I heard this message from MacArthur. He said, well, when you dress, just dress what's appropriate in that culture context. If, you were a, if the culture said you need to wear a kilt, just wear it. Just for sake of gospel ministry, don't be a distraction by wearing, just intentionally try to offend people with what you wear. And I remember I kept that in the back of my mind. I knew this guy was a MacArthur, right? So I was like, okay, I'll just keep this, and I'm going to use that as like a punchline at the very end. So I used the same argument, same line argument MacArthur without quoting MacArthur. And then he was like arguing, like, what? Wearing a kilt? That's so ungodly because that's what women wear. That's like a dress. And he was just going off and off about uh, dress code. And then I just, at the end, I put the MacArthur line. And immediately he was like, you're right. Argument over. That's a biased listener. That's someone that just has this allegiance to someone and is not really thinking clearly or biblically. That's the first Corinthians type. Like, I am of Apollos. I am of Paul. They're not really thinking biblically. They have a certain bias towards this person or preacher. So there's a lazy listener that just kind of sits there and just drones. There's the bias, and the way that you could be overcome that is be the discerning listener. Everything that we preach behind the pulpit, there's bound to be some people that you, you know, that you may not agree with, and that's okay. Be like the Berean, the faithful Berean that looks to Scripture and, and checks it. Is this in its right appropriate context? Is this applied accurately? Does it make sense in the context of Scripture? Does this, is this even connected to other theologies? If you know even historical theology, this is something that even people in the past have preached. You know, 
don't be the biased listener, be the discerning listener. So there's a lazy listener, there's the biased listener, then there's also the prideful listener. That's the one that's just like, it's not me. This message is clearly for the guy next to me or the girl next to me. I don't need to hear this. Someone else needs to hear this. And so when they hear the message, they're already thinking ways to confront other people as opposed to seeing how God's willing to pierce their own hearts. So how do you overcome pride? Be the humble listener. See that every sermon, God has placed you under that teacher to teach you something. It's supposed to, God has placed you there. You believe in God's sovereignty, which we all do. We're, you know, reformed people here. We trust in God's providence and the sovereignty. So every time you're under someone, you have to understand that God has a message explicitly for you. I've shared this with some of you. I, there's some preachers that are just very difficult for me to listen to. Certain conferences that I go to, this guy's always there. And I have to pray to the Lord, like, Lord, help me, humble me. I don't like this guy's preaching. He's very dull. He's not particularly interesting or insightful. I don't know why he's there in conferences, but he's there, and I'm there too. So, Lord, help me. And I find that even with those very boring preachers, I can glean truth from them because they're teaching from God's word. A prideful listener is someone that believes that the lesson is for everyone else except for themselves. So be the humble listener. See that God has placed you there in the context of whether it's a small group, Sunday school, church, to learn something. Because we're all students of Jesus Christ, and there's always something that we need to learn. And lastly, the nitpick listener. That's, again, seminary students, I, I am tempted to be this kind of guy. Like, I would, I, I don't like the way that, you know, like what I just said, like about that guy, I wish, the, I wish certain sermons had better introductions or cooler transitions or better conclusions, or I prefer this kind of, uh, a preacher that doesn't use notes, you can tell because they're making eye contact, or I prefer a person that uses notes because they're not clear. You know, there's the nitpick type. They're always nitpicking the messenger as opposed to just humbly listening, like what is, what is he trying to get at? And again, some of us uh, need to be humble in that way. Not to be a nitpick, but to be appreciative. Be thankful to the Lord that the Lord has, this person has worked the whole week or month to prepare a sermon, and we should thank the Lord that the, that the Lord had raised up this person to teach God's word. Instead of nitpicking every little thing that I don't like, to just be humble and to say, hey, this person is doing this as an act of worship to the Lord, and even my listening is will be an act of worship. So stop nitpicking, but be a good listener. And I think that's what Jesus warns. He's saying that if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Listen carefully. It is important for us as Christians, if we want to advance the kingdom, we need to know what God's word has to say. I think our culture is, especially the Christian culture, part of the reason why we're not effective is because we don't know what the Bible has to say. There are going to be people that say, you know, the Bible is full of contradictions. And then immediately we think, oh, yeah, there is. Like, no, there isn't. Um, when if, here's just like apologetic thing. If, if people say that to you, ask them what they mean and then tell them to show you the contradiction. Chances are they're going to probably Google something, but you know, if you're discerning, you know God's word, you'll know there are actually no contradictions in Scripture. It's only when you don't know God's word you become timid and you believe the lies of the world. If you want to represent God well, you need to know God's word. You need to listen to truth. Not only listening to truth or living the truth, but lastly, you need to share the truth. Share the truth. Verse 25, whoever has to him, more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Now, I was reading like six or seven commentaries this morning, and every single one of those commentaries have a different view on this, which I thought was kind of hilarious because, you know, he's, Jesus here is talking to in parables, and true believers will understand what I'm saying, and all of these commentaries are different. It's like, okay, then one of, one, only one of them are, are moved by the Spirit. The other five may, may need to work on their sanctification. I'm kidding. The problem is not the Scripture, it's ourselves. You, you get that, right? The reason why sometimes we don't understand Scripture has nothing to do with the Scripture itself, but really our own shortcomings and our frailty. But Jesus here, what does this mean? For whoever has to him more shall be given, whoever does not have, even what he what he has shall be taken away from this. It almost sounds like a riddle. And I think of the five, there's, I agree with one of them, and that is that there's a stewardship here, that the more people that you share the gospel with, 
the more people that you get to share the gospel with. There's this momentum that goes on. Because whoever has to him, more shall be given. So if you have the gospel and you're sharing the gospel, more opportunities will be given to you to go and share the gospel. And whoever does not, meaning who, the person who has no desire to share the gospel, it will be taken away from because non-believers not sh- will not share the gospel. They will not care about the things of the kingdom of God. But true believers, it will, it will grow and multiply because they want other people to know. There's this momentum effect when it comes to evangelism. The more you share the gospel, the, Lord will, the more the Lord will give you opportunity to go and share the gospel. As you're faithful to the Lord, the Lord will give you more opportunity to demonstrate God's faithfulness in your life. You see that whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away. Again, true Christians will bear fruit. That's what it says in verse 20. The, the, one, the, the seed that is, that's grown good so they'll bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. That means that other people will come to saving faith as well. False Christians, they won't bear any fruit. I think what Jesus said here at the very last verse is really speaking of the first three soils that in, early in this chapter. The ones that just, just burns away, that they hear the gospel a little bit and then it just sprouts very quickly and, it just, and it's all gone. Or the one that just the gospel lands and a bird comes and takes it away or it gets choked up by thorns. They had the gospel, but because of things of the world, they end up losing their gospel ministry opportunity. So well, how is sharing the gospel been for you this past month? And if I say week, it might be too convicting because you might not share the gospel this week, but let's think about it in terms of the month. Now, understand, I struggle with this too. I know that sometimes I'm busy. I know sometimes there are things that comes up in my life, and I know that uh, I'm not always as best, as a great as evangelist as I like. And that's something that all of us need to work on. If you want to figure out how to have church growth, really, it's just to share the gospel with people. It's not to have smoke machines or lasers or whatever uh, things that just draw people in. I know we have these decorations. If you're new here, you're wondering what these things are for. They're not for you. They're for the kids that are for tomorrow, okay? We're not trying to make you like Minecraft or whatever. It's for our little kids here. But if you have any kids, you can bring them in and we can share the gospel with them. Understand that like Christians were called to share the gospel, and, that, and you'll find that the more opportunities you have, the reason why you have more opportunities to share the gospel is because you're faithful in that area. And the Lord sees that, and he'll keep drawing people to you to go and share the gospel with them. Those who do evangelism will naturally have more opportunity to evangelize the lost, which means that more opportunity for fruit to to more opportunity for people to come saving faith. That's where the multiplication process comes. I heard this quote that said, 80% of success in life is just showing up. And I think evangelism, you can't share the gospel if you don't show up in people's lives. Just go and evangelize them. People will come to Christ when people go to them and tell them about Christ. God will use those that are faithful. And if that's you, and you understand, like, why is God giving all these unique, why is God opening all these doors? It's because you're praying for it and the Lord's giving you those opportunities. And the opposite is also true. Why aren't people, why, why can't I evangelize? Why aren't the people around me evangelizing? Chances are it's because they're not, they're not doing evangelism. Again, perhaps the reason why you don't have opportunity to do evangelism is because you just aren't doing evangelism. And now the solution is to go and be evangelized. Um, that's how we can be, be a faithful steward of the gospel. That's how we can be faithful citizens of God's kingdom. That's how we advance the kingdom of God. Understand that the reason why we have the gospel in our life is because someone was willing to share the gospel with us. And it can't be that the gospel ends in our life. There needs to be people in your life that you need to care for. There's someone, there should be someone in your life that you're praying for, someone that you know that the Lord has sovereignly placed in your life so that you can invite them out. And that's really my encouragement. I'm not going to be legalistic about it and say, hey, every one of you need to invite uh, someone to church on Christmas Sunday. Otherwise, you're all not Christians. I'm church discipline all of you. I'm not saying that. I will challenge you to do that, though. I'm not, uh, if there is someone in your life that needs to hear the gospel, you know, Christmas this year is a perfect time, or Easter, just, just be, be willing to invite people to, to the faith. Or if you don't want to invite them, you want to invite them to your home or just have some lunch, do it. Uh, evangelism only happens when you want to go and win people to Christ. And you'll find that, yes, those awkward moments, uh, there may, be, may even be t- very tense moments, but it's worth it. 
in the grand scheme of eternity, those awkward moments, they last so short. But what great joy we have in turning with that person when they come to saving faith. And that's what we want, right? We want our loved ones, we want our neighbors, we want our classmates, we want our, our co-workers to know Jesus Christ so that one day we can all be in heaven praising the Lord and rejoicing with him. So, share the gospel. If you want the kingdom to advance, you need to shine forth the truth or, share, or shine the gospel. Share, show them the gospel in the way that you live. And hear the gospel truth. Make sure that you're guarded from the lies of the world. Otherwise, you might be swept away from the lies that comes at us so regularly. And lastly, make sure that you go and share the gospels. And it's only in these three things that we can advance the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for your word and reminding us of our responsibility here. Lord, we confess that it's, especially in our day and age, where there are, there are so many distractions and so many things that might make us forget the purpose of us being here is to win people to Christ. Lord, we confess that uh, those shortcomings where we don't prioritize evangelism. But Lord, I do pray for all of us here that we become faithful soldiers to rescue those that are in darkness. May we be that light that shines brightly, um, especially when things can be difficult. May you give us the grace to not be timid, to not be afraid, to not be coward, but be bold in declaring the gospel truth. Lord, we know that this short life you've given us, that we need to be a good steward of it, and, you, and we're going to have to give an account to how we use our times and even the relationships that you've given us. Lord, may we be found faithful, even if it means that we're hated by the world. Lord, may we, we pray for all of us to be bold in sharing the gospel with, with even one person this week. Even if they reject the gospel, we just hope that uh, we're found faithful in your eyes. But we know that we cannot cause the growth, but we are responsible in planting the seed of the gospel and spreading the gospel to far and wide and to people all over the world. Lord, bless our endeavors if we ever get a chance to share the gospel this week. It's your son's precious name. Amen.